You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everybody and welcome back to the same old Arsenal podcast. I would say I hope you're all doing very well, but that might be a bit of a silly thing to say after what we endured last night. But look, let's not get too down in the dumps. Going to try and keep this as positive as we possibly can do, although that might be a bit difficult. But Chris, um, delighted to be joined by you for this lunchtime edition of the podcast. You were at the game last night and not a, not a pleasant experience. No, I will caveat the... Uh... The rant that I'm about to monologue on, I'll try and try and keep it to like a minute or two minutes, James. So you can just tell me to shut up if you want. But uh, I live in West London. I'm getting back from that bowl of a stadium in East London, which is not a nice stadium. Let's be honest. The whole experience isn't great. You're so far from the pitch. I was in the furthest row back right at the top. So I could just about make out the little fluorescent yellow sort of dots on the on the uh, on the pitch, and we were joking that it must be about a quarter of a mile away from the other end of the goal, uh, from the other goal opposite to us. But yeah, it's a pig's ear of a stadium to get to and to get back on, and then to have what was served to us at you know seven thirty onwards um, just didn't make it a, a very uh, palatable evening at all to be honest with you and I think some of it might have been avoidable yeah and to be honest mate that wasn't as ranty as I was expecting so thank you for keeping it civil um and look at him there with his glass bottle of diet coke this absolute privilege lovely listeners he was doing this to me before we went live just ribbing into me look I'm a man that's bruised I got I've had a horrible evening last night I, I was late as well so Mark friend of friend of the show Mark who got me the tickets um he he uh, he waited outside for me because I was running late because of work stuff because it was a half past seven kickoff. And then I turn up today to talk to one of my lovely friends and he's giving me pelters for no, drinking no, out of a bottle. It's not pelters. <laughs> I love a man with class and culture and that is exactly what you are, Chris. 
And in fact, it's jealousy more than anything. I wish I had some glass bottles of Coke in my household, but no, I'm limited to diet Pepsi at the minute. But look, that's a story for another day. Let's get into the game last night. Team lineup comes out, and I have to say the first disappointment that hasn't really been spoken about so much because of just how poor the performance was, was that Smith Rowe wasn't in the team. And I feel really bad for him because he's been in and around the first team an awful lot in the past couple of weeks. You know, he came on against Chelsea, came on against Sevilla, started the game against Sheffield United, started the game against Brentford in the last round of the cup. And I think he would have been in line for another start for this game. But I don't want to say he's broken down again, but it's it's another injury. It feels like a step backwards and it's a competition that we're now out of where he would have got minutes. So, I mean, just... Give me your thoughts on how you're feeling about Smith Rowe being out of the team again. Yeah, I think I echo your sentiment there, mate. It's uh, quite gutted, actually. And do you know why I'm also gutted? And maybe we'll get onto this in a bit. Nobody's taking that left eight position, are they? Nobody's grabbing hold of it. And this felt like the sort of game that if you could, if we could play Smith Rowe in that left eight, imagine if he just... We see the Smith Rowe from two, three years ago when he first got into the team with Arteta and turned Arteta's season around. That guy who picks the ball up, runs with it, can take and beat a man. You know, he's, a, he's good at arriving late into the box. We've seen that before. Remember the, the Tottenham game, the North London derby where he scored um, in the... Uh, I think we won, was it, we won 3-1. Um, I think it was during the Amazon uh, documentary era. And that was Smith Rowe arriving to the box, just side-footing in late. That's the sort of Smith Rowe that we wanted to see. And that's the one I was hoping to see last night. And to hear that he's out for another few weeks. It feels a little bit like what was happening to Reese Nelson in previous years, in that every time a chance might come up, an FA Cup or whatever it is, his, his body lets him down. And I think, I don't want to say it, but we're getting close to the point where, like what happened with Tierney, Arteta probably just thinks, I need a replacement who's just availability is the best kind of ability. Yeah, and you could say the exact same for someone like Thomas Partey, who I think a, a lot of us are expecting to be moved on in the summer due to his age, due to his frailty. I really hope it's not the case for Smith Rowe, but it's just a surprise, isn't it? Because he did he did do okay in that game against Sheffield United. And you think, okay, getting a bit of momentum and then just when an opportunity comes knocking on the door again, it's swept from under his feet. But um, look, that aside, that was you know the, the initial negative. But the team lineup, Chris, I thought was really strong. Um, lots of changes, but you know a lot of internationals in there, a lot of players that you would expect to put in a performance. When you saw the team sheet, what did you make of it? Uh, I was kind of all right of it, to be honest with you. I thought to myself, that is a team that on paper should have enough to beat a West Ham time side, which admittedly West Ham went a bit stronger than I thought. But when I thought about it, what happened to David Moyes last season? Um, they were pretty rubbish in the league. They had a pretty terrible league uh, campaign or an average to poor league campaign. The fans were uh, on his back, but he won a cup, albeit <laughs> this was hilarious. That I don't know if you could hear it. You must be able to have heard it on the TV, but West Ham singing Champions of Europe. <laughs> we know who we are. <laughs> I mean, the Arsenal fans that, that were around me were just chuckling and clapping, going, yeah, all right then. But that trophy, I think, kept him his job. And I think he's looked at this and thought, we can get a win against Arsenal now. This open, this this opens up this 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 uh, competition. And imagine if he's bumbling along, uh, but then they're, they're not in the relegation zone by February time next year, and they get to a final and he wins it. 
that's a stay of execution again. So I think he he took this a little bit more seriously than us. But going back to Arsenal, team lineup, perfectly happy with it. Those are all players that started that match that really should have delivered more than they did. And perhaps it speaks to the sentiment and the mindset of, of the game, which I don't think I've seen a few people suggest it's an Arteta thing. I don't think this is an Arteta thing. I think this is those players on the pitch didn't perform. Yeah, and it's interesting because West Ham, have, they had a good start to the season. They've had a couple of poor results recently. I think they'd had three losses in all competitions. And I watched them against Olympiacos. They weren't great. I watched them against Everton. They were poor in that game. And obviously, we're the ones that give them that opportunity to galvanise and be a bit of a catalyst for them getting better. So I agree with you. I definitely think David Moyes saw this as an opportunity to get back to winning ways. And that's why he went with such a strong side. Um, but then I look at the Arsenal team and I still think, OK, look, these are a lot of, I don't want to say fringe players. These are the types of players, you know, Trossard, Havertz, players that you would bring into the first eleven, and you would hope not to see too much of a drop of quality. However, when you bring them all together, I think what was evidenced last night is that they don't work. And as good as they are when they individually come into the first team, if you bring, you know, the sort of changes in that we made against Sheffield United, we saw Smith Rowe and Havertz come in and even Kivior, you can make those sorts of subtle changes so long as you've got your big boys out there as well, like Saka, Martinelli, um, Declan Rice. But if you bring them all in at once, it's too much. There's no chemistry. There's no understanding. There's just no quality, if we're being totally honest as well. But the first half, I don't know about you watching it in the stadium, but I didn't think it was dreadful. I actually thought we were we were pretty good at times. We had that good chance through Kai Havertz, so I thought was good in the first half. We had a really good chance for Eddie Nketiah, who should have done who should have done an awful lot better. Um, Reese Nelson made a fantastic run down the right hand side. We looked like we were playing pretty okay football, but obviously we conceded the goal from the set piece, um, which if VAR was intervening, definitely wouldn't have been a goal. Suchek has maybe, yeah, mate. Well, you'd hope so, but. Suchik is all over Ramsdale and it's just, it's unfortunate from why it just, it hits the wrong part of his head, goes into the back of the net and West Ham have got something to hold on to from there. Yep, absolutely. Um, and I just, just to kind of, I guess, back up your point, I've just looked on sofa score at some of the stats. So in that first half only, 68% Arsenal to 32% possession. We know that doesn't mean anything, but how about this? Total shots in that first half alone, Arsenal eight, West Ham zero. That is not shots on target, not shots off target. That is literally a big fat zero. They had zero block shots. Uh, they had two corner kicks. Like we, we literally dominated. Like we missed one big chance. We had seven shots inside the box. Reese Nelson uh, had a couple of block shots, and the goal itself was a weird one um, in the stadium. I kind of sort of half watched it because we were so high up. You could only half see this, the TV screen. I actually thought in real time that Ramsdale didn't really do anything on it. He didn't come out and try and punch it or catch it. And he didn't stay on his line in case somebody flicked it back. He sort of did a halfway job. But I didn't see the Suchek foul. Um, it, how much does it impact him? I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about this, but the Ramsdale... Um, I didn't think Ramsdale had the most amazing of games, which breaks my heart because I'd love to see him back in the team, but I didn't think he covered himself in glory. And yeah, we gave West Ham a bit of a, we gave them an out really because we dominated in all of the metrics except the most important one, which is the goal. And you do mention Ramsdale there. I mean, we have a comment from a regular contributor to the show, James Johnson. Hope you're doing well, mate. Legend. Um, Ramsdale positioning for the first goal is shocking, completely rooted to his line and uh, awful for the third as well. I mean, look, 
James saying it as it is, as he always does. But um, you're right in saying as well, Chris, that it wasn't the most convincing displays from Aaron Ramsdale, which, you know, pains me as well, because I want to see him back in this team fighting for his spot. And I'm sure it doesn't help that he's been out of the team for so long and he's just not up to, to speed, really, which, you know, professional goalkeeper shouldn't really be an excuse. But at the same time, it, it does have a mental effect on footballers. So that was really disappointing. And I just thought everything in his game from, you know, the saves to the distribution, um, his passing was just, it, it didn't really feel that risky. It was very much just pass it round the back, you know, two, three, four yard passes to uh, the centre-halves. Um, there was nothing in that display from him that I think is going to give Arteta any, you know, reservations about playing David Raya going forward, were there? No, absolutely none. And do you know what I said at half-time and I said beforehand uh, to Steve, who I was with, I said to him, I really want it to be true that Ramsdale and Raya both play 25 games, 25 to 30 games each a season, because I love the idea of the risk mitigation of that. Like, if one gets injured, you've got a guy who's played regularly and he's fine. And I also love the idea of Arteta just thinking, you know what, I'm going to change things up. But his words, his actions don't uh, stack up to his words from Arteta from this perspective. And unfortunately, I think as a result, we're seeing we're seeing some of this through uh, Ramsdale. And let's not, let's not turn this into a complete Ramsdale bashing session because he was brilliant against Brentford. And he did nothing wrong for the start of the season and he was pulled out of the team. And you and I have both been on the met a cut a few pods talking about Raya saying he's not exactly been brilliant. So do we have a longest do you think we have a goalkeeping problem? Like we've gone for two number ones, but does it feel like we've got two number one and a halves? Is that even a thing? Probably not. Well, it is a problem because you know, performances like that don't cover Ramsdale in any glory, and you've got to wonder when will he next get an opportunity to play now? And I think we're all looking at that game against Brentford away at the GTEC Community Stadium, which will be his next opportunity, you know, over three weeks away, which is going to, is a long time in football. So I, um, yeah, I do worry for him, but I also worry about how much money we can get for him now, because we were talking about him being a 50, 60 million plus goalkeeper, you know, a guy that was shortlisted um, in the Ballon d'Or, you know, one of the top goalkeepers in there, you know, the youngest goalkeeper amongst the nominees. And we're, probably going to struggle to get 30 million for him, you know, come next summer. Because if he doesn't play any games, his value just goes down and goes down and goes down. And if he does come in, in games like the one yesterday, let's say it's an FA Cup game, and he puts in a performance like that, then his value just continues to decrease. And I think it is a result of him not playing regularly. Um, I think it's a confidence yeah, thing. He, he does look absolutely, you know, shattered um, mentally uh, and obviously you know he's, he's a new father as well so that, that's got to be taken into consideration um, but I do hope he gets at least some minutes in the Champions League because let's not forget he was the guy that got us there it just just doesn't feel fair to me the whole goalkeeping situation but um, look I don't want to keep on this too long because we've done the Ramsdale Ray thing to death but that was his opportunity last night and sadly I just don't think it's it's going to have been enough to convince Arteta that he's going to be playing um, come the weekend but Chris, it was an awful start to the second half. Um, at 1-0 down, you're thinking, okay, go into the second half, rally together, carry on what we were doing in the first half, and I'm sure we'll create an opening at some point in the game. Um, but one ball over the top, really poor from Zinchenko and Gabriel. Uh, brilliant goal by Kudus, it has to be said, a guy that we were looking at over the summer. And it's 2-0. And um, you don't like to say it, but it felt like game over at that point. Yeah, it really did. I mean, we have obviously seen a couple of seasons ago, Arsenal coming back from three goals down against West Ham, but 
they I feel like they did that. My my memory's fading the older I get, but I feel like uh, they did they scored their goals quite early in that three three game, and it gave us a lot of time to essentially for them to turn into it to turn into defense versus attack, and that's why we were able to get into it. It didn't feel like there was quite enough time uh, for us to come back into that match, but I also think that at the time of them scoring, it was. I do think we, much like the Chelsea game, it feels like we've been punished for, like, we've got maximum punishment for the level of chance creation that opposition have had. If you think about that Chelsea game, you know, it's a dodgy penalty and then a, uh, a complete mishit that got Chelsea their goals. And this was an own goal um, and then a mistake from Zinchenko through, it felt like their second, I think it was their second shot, their first or second attempt of the entire game. And they find themselves 2-0 up. And then it was a similar sort of thing when when the third one went in. So it just felt like we'd been given maximum punishment. But however, having said that, it's not like we deserve, I don't know you how you feel about this, mate, but we didn't really deserve anything from it up until that point because all I saw from Arsenal was that horseshoe passing of death the arc of boredom yeah I mean from the moment that goal went in I thought we were horrendous if I'm being totally frank you know we were pretty poor after we conceded the second goal against Chelsea as well but at least you know for 15 minutes of that game we, we actually looked like a team of a bit of purpose but I just thought all of our motivation went at that point um and the second half was just the, the worst i've seen us play we just didn't didn't do anything you know we were out muscled off everything west ham you know you have to say um they looked buoyed by the second goal i thought they played a hell of a lot better created more openings um and then of course they get the third through jared bowen and you've got to say it's unfortunate that it takes the deflection off kivior who i thought was our only good player on the night i thought he was you know the one shining light um ramsdale kind of flaps at it do you think, I don't want to lay into Ramsdale again, but do you think he could have done better there? I do. And it was a really weird save as well. Like for those people listening on audio, I'll have to describe this as I sort of do this waving motion. But he just kind of did that, didn't he? He sort of flapped at it. Whereas if you're a goalkeeper and your hands are sort of stood like this to your side, like I, when I was a kid, I used to play in goal and you're always taught to lead with both hands. So I would have thought, that, and again, it goes comes at it too quickly, so maybe I'm doing, being too quickly, but I would have thought the natural motion is to just push both arms up, to almost just raise both arms to try and push the ball over rather than sweep the ball wide because it's, as the ball coming to you, it's a, it's a larger sort of opportunity for mistake or for, for a mishit as opposed to, I don't know, maybe I'm going in a bit too technical, but it just felt like a weird technique to me. And yeah, I looked at that straight at him and it never looks good. No matter how hard it's hit at, um, a goal, at like how hard the ball, well, the ball is struck. It never looks great, does it? When uh, when you, it's straight at your goalkeeper and he just palms it in. Yeah, and you have to say, if you are going into that with two hands, you've got a much better chance of keeping it out than it. Even with one hand, you know, you could be one of the best keepers in the world, but one hand ain't as strong as two. And Interesting comment here from uh, James Johnson again. Um, Zinchenko was dreadful yesterday. And I hate to say it, but I love Zinchenko as a player. Loved what he did last season. But this season, he's just not done it for me. Um, I've really not been convinced by him. Defensively, I think he, he's arguably gotten worse. And I think going forward, he's just taking too many elaborate passes that are just going into nowhere, as James also mentions in his comment. So I was really disappointed with him yesterday because that was a game for, again someone like him to say, look, I'm the starting left back in this team. Look what you're missing. And I think he was definitely at fault for the second goal we conceded, offered very little going forward and defensively very questionable. So I don't want to say, should we be looking at usurping him? 
But I think Tomiyasu is already starting to take that role. I think when Timber's back, he's definitely in line for that. Are we outgrowing Zinchenko? That's a really good question. I would say no, because I still think he's fantastic technically on the ball. And yes, defensively, he's a bit poor. I'm going to put a hypothesis to you. And uh, I want to see if you uh, if you agree. And it kind of links to Eddie and Ketia as well. Because uh, I was I was on a run this morning and I listened to a pod, great guys, Arsenal Opinion podcast, like really, really interesting stuff. And one of the guys said that it's been 18 matches away from home since Eddie Nketiah has scored his last goal. In the ground last night, we were talking about Zinchenko and Tomiyasu. And all of us said, well, Tomiyasu will play against Newcastle at the weekend. And what I said to the one of the chaps is, yeah, well, Tomiyasu is a dual merchant. You know, he wins duels. He's just such a good one-on-one defender. And so I can totally understand why Zinchenko is playing tonight because the bigger game for us is at the weekend. And so who do you want to be combative winning duels? It's Tomiyasu. So my hypothesis is Zinchenko, we need him. And much like Eddie Nketiah, we need him. But we need him for certain games. And it feels like those home games where we dominate possession where we're playing against the mid or low low block team or a lower down the table team where they can actually just be flat track bullies. And it feels to me like the bigger games, but I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think I want to see, I don't think, I don't have any faith that Eddie Nketiah is going to rock up at St. James's Park and bag another hat trick because away from home, it feels more like last night. And then at home against those Sheffield United, maybe even a West Ham at home, Eddie Nketiah is fine. Maybe uh, West Ham at home, Zinchenko is fine. But away from home, you need Tomiyasu for those duels, for the combative nature. And I think we need another centre forward. Who that might be, might be within the squad. Maybe it's a Havertz or we'll come on to him, I'm sure. Maybe it's a Trossard. Maybe it's just Gabriel Jesus when he gets back. But it doesn't feel like it's Eddie Nketiah to me. So what do you think? My theory about Tomiyasu for those big games, away games, combative games and somebody else who isn't Eddie Nketiah for those same games. Yeah, I completely agree. And I'm glad you mentioned the Eddie point about him not getting a goal in 18 away games. That is just not good enough for a striker at Arsenal. That is not good enough in the slightest. You know, he can be as fantastic as he wants to be against the likes of Sheffield United. And we need those sort of performances and those sort of games. Really happy for him at the weekends, but just completely phased out of the game last night. And it wasn't the first time it's happened with Eddie Nketiah. We saw it when he came on against Seville. We saw it when he came on against Chelsea, although he did have that half chance. But in so many away games, he's just anonymous. You have to say it wasn't just him. I think um, Trossard wasn't in the game. We're going to get on to talk about a few other players that just weren't involved in the game. Reese Nelson in that second half was nowhere to be seen. Um, so it wasn't just him, but he was the one that even in that first half, I didn't feel had an influence. And going back to your point about Tommy Asu for the big away games, yeah, it has to be. It absolutely has to be because Zinchenko just cannot be trusted. Look at some of the goals we conceded in the running at the end of last season. Liverpool away. Does that goal happen if Tommy Asu's on the pitch? It might do, but you know, I think we've got a better chance of him there. I think we've got a better chance with Timber there. So I really do think you're right in saying that for those games against the likes of Sheffield United, Everton, Luton at home, plays Zinchenko, we're going to be ball dominant. It's fairly risk-free and he's the exact sort of player for those games. But away from home, in big, big games... In any game, I would say, away from home in the Premier League, you need someone like Takahiro Tomiyasu, who's been um, excellent this season. Um, but Chris, I've got just one statement to make to you. Kai Havertz, well, Fabio Vieira, £100 million. What do you make of that? I think we spent the other £100 million a little bit more efficiently, didn't we, in Declan Rice? And doesn't that speak for itself that you've asked me a question about those two players and I immediately want to talk about Declan Rice, who played, what, 15, 20 minutes? Um 
I said this last night, and I'm going to say it again. We're now at 15 matches with Kai Havertz as an Arsenal player. We, as a club, he hasn't played all of them, but we've played 15 matches. At what point do we start to say, this isn't working? And there'll be some that will be thinking, is he saying that now? I'm not. Honestly, I'm not. I'm still willing to say there's still more games to go. If we're going to play 55 matches this season, which I hope 55, 60 matches this season, which means we've gone deep in other competitions, then great. But if if we like how many games is it and i don't know are you there that's my question back to you i guess mate is are you there where i see a few people are which is this isn't going to work out i'm not ready to go there yet in my head i feel like 25 matches maybe the 30 match point because then you're at the halfway stage but if we if we get another 15 matches and he's delivered the same level of performances so we're halfway through the season i'm going to call it now it's going to feel a bit William like as a signing. The only difference is, is we got him on a free transfer. We paid sixty-five million pounds for Havertz. And that goes back to your original point. That's not worth it right now. Sixty-five million pounds for Havertz is too much money. Like let, let, let's have it right. It is too much money for what he's done previously in a Chelsea shirt. You know, if we were buying him from by Leverkusen three years ago, okay that you can justify it. But what we've seen from him in the Premier League, it's been way too much, especially when you've got someone like James Madison going for 20-odd million less. I mean, we're talking, you know, we spoke about Pepe being a flop, but, you know, we're talking about a very similar transfer fee. And Pepe, I think, probably in his first season, could quite easily have had more goal. I don't know the exact uh, numbers on it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he had more goal contributions than Kai Havertz is on for, because he's had that one goal from the penalty spot against Bournemouth. He's had the one assist against Manchester City. I don't think he's looked rubbish in all these games. Certainly don't, and that would be wrong to say. But for 65 million quid and for 35 million on Fabio Vieira, that's 100 million pounds, I think, you know, part of me would have seen, rather seen go on someone like James Madison and Romeo Lavia. Um, I think there's just better ways to have spent that money because I watched both of them yesterday. And I think it's worth talking about Fabio Vieira as well because, okay, he got the assist for the Odegaard goal, which, you know, was nothing really at that point in the game. Um, but again, after a good start to the season for Fabio, he's gone back into his shell a little bit and he's just not influencing games. Um, he's getting phased out, you know, the same as what happened to Trossard, to Enketia, to Havertz, just no impact on the game whatsoever. And I, I hate to say it, but, you know, he's a guy that I'm trying to be very patient with as well. But does part of you think in Fabio Vieira's case, this guy just isn't cut out for English football? Yeah, you do start to wonder that. Do you know what? It feels to me like Fabio Vieira is a uh, is a finisher rather than a starter. He's a, someone you bring on in a certain game environment for the last 20 minutes because I haven't seen too many instances where he's bossed the game from start to finish. And the fact that I can recount one, which was the Brentford game last season, which he was brilliant at, let's be honest. If he had another four or five matches like that. So we've got some data points behind us to say, you know what? He's at least done four or five matches like that. But the fact I can remember that one game probably speaks to itself. Just to give you a little bit of a backing up my uh, my podcast bro here, uh, Nicolas Pepe in his first season at Arsenal played 42 matches. Uh, he got eight goals, 10 assists. So 18 goal contributions in 42 matches. So that's just under one every two. He's delivered something. Um, I think Havertz might have an assist. Yeah, he's got one against City. He's got the penalty against Bournemouth. But I hate to say it, I, I don't think he's going to get double figures in terms of goal contributions this season across all competitions. I just don't see it. 
doesn't feel like it right now, does it? I mean, you look at those numbers. Um, yeah, that's uh, in 2,700 minutes, Pepe gets 18 goal contributions. And he's more of an, yeah, I know they don't play the same position, but it's not great. And back to the Fabio Fiera thing. Yeah, just like I, like I say, I think he's a finisher. I still uh, I still feel like there's something in there for Fabio Vieira because I've seen some glimpses, but I haven't seen those same glimpses in Havertz. And there's lots of people talking about, well, he tracks back and he's good in the air. But it's like, we don't need a number six. If we needed, if we needed it, we should have spent £65 million on number six. And we should have just had Thomas Partey, Declan Rice, and another number six and just done a double pivot and play Martin Odegaard as the, as the, as the lone eight. Just just do that as a style. Um, or if Arteta really wants to have these two eights, then it, think harder than, than Kai Havertz. Because to me, at the beginning of the season, it, like there was nothing that suggested that we were going to get this amazing player that's going to suddenly explode. Uh, I still, I'm still not willing to 100% give up on it, fingers crossed. Yeah, I, I just worry, though, if we ever come to a point in this season where we have to play a midfield like the one we saw last night, Jorginho, Havertz, Vieira in the league. If we yeah. were going to St. James's Park with that midfield, I really do think we'd see a similar outcome to what we saw last night. You know, I'd even argue I'd rather have Elneny in there than Jorginho just to give us a bit of combativeness because we just don't get that from Jorginho. You know, I don't think he was the worst out of the worst last night, but them three as a collective, it's just way too lightweight. But we've got a yeah. question here from a friend of the show, Carl Stark. Has Nelson been dining out on one late goal against Bournemouth last season and he's not actually good enough for Arsenal? Interesting point. Uh, I actually agree with that sentiment. And the reason I say that is because I've got nothing against Reese Nelson. He's an Arsenal boy. Like we all want Arsenal boys to succeed. Um, I'd rather have an entire team fielded of Haylenders than anything else. That would be absolute utopia. That would be amazing if they were successful uh, and, and, and the right sort of level of player. But... In the summer, when we signed him to that new bumper deal, my immediate reaction was not, oh, that's great. Even with the Bournemouth stuff, it was, hmm, it probably means that we're not going to get, we're not going to upgrade on him. And if I'm thinking that about somebody who's a Haylender that I've seen grow up through the ranks, who Arsene Wenger gave a debut to at like 16, you know, I've got nothing but desire to see him do well. But if I'm thinking that in the summer, that probably tells me all I need to know. And I just, I'm not sure he's good enough and do you know what if Bakayo Saka is out injured Arteta's been trying to find other solutions hasn't he like when we played uh, Man City he played Gabriel Jesus in like in that position wide right he didn't play Reese Nelson so yeah for me I think Carl's if that's what Carl's getting at then yeah spot on yeah and Reese Nelson's another one of these guys that you know we look at as being really young but he's not anymore like he's coming into you know he's I'm not sure if he's 23 24 but he's a guy that should be, you know, at the peak of his powers or coming into that era of his career. And I really think that... Um, he's 23, he'll be 24 in December. Sorry to interrupt. Okay, so he's coming up to 24, same as Eddie and Ketia. Um Someone like him, I, I really think we've signed him up to that new contract with the view to selling him in the summer to protect his value. And I honestly, I don't yeah. think we'd get more than 10 million for him at the minute. Yeah. I'd like to see more of him in the league. I, I don't think he's an awful player. I really don't. No. Um, I'm just not sure he's, he's at the level to be good enough. I didn't see enough from him last night to make me think, okay, this guy could really do it in the league. There was one run he made on the right-hand sides, which I thought was very impressive. But apart from that, not really. And there was one actually did set up, well, we came close to setting up Eddie and Ketter in the first half where he yeah, just did a little feint and crossed it in. Um, so, yeah, again, another one that wasn't the worst of the worst, but uh, just 
just need to see more. Um, you know, can I can I quickly just oh, ask a question? Course, it's based on one of, of the chats, um, and it's Ant CL one o eight two has said Vieira only looks good playing with first team players. I think you sort of touched about this earlier, so I'd love to get your view. This idea of too many changes. So if you get certain players who like Vieira, or maybe like a Havertz, or maybe it's a um, uh, who else was uh, rotated in last night? So maybe it's a Smith Rowe. If they play with essentially the first team, like eight out of those first name on the team sheet players, do you think you get better performances out of them? And so therefore, how much rotation is good enough at a game like last night? Depends how seriously you take the League Cup. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, last night's 11, I don't think it was not serious. I've seen a lot of people saying that Arteta doesn't take this competition seriously and we go out with a whimper. Um, we did go out with a whimper, no getting around that fact, but it's not like he played a complete youth team. What I saw mm-hmm. from the players that were on the pitch, a lot of them are full internationals, by the way, a lack of motivation to want to win that game. I just don't think they cared enough about it in that second half. And that for me is the problem they're in because we've got to the semi-finals of this competition under Mikel Arteta. You know, we we fought really hard to win it. Do you not remember when we went to Anfield and Granite Jacker got yeah. sent off very early and then we held on for a nil-nil, one of our best performances of that season, I think, defensively. And then we got, you know, we lost the game of the Emirates. But OK, look, we, we went far in the competition and we played a serious 11 in both of those games. Whereas this season, we've got strength in depth. It's just a case of they come together and they just don't work because they don't play enough together. I don't think they've got the adequate quality to come up against an almost first choice 11 West Ham side and, you know, play in the way that we expect Arsenal to. Um, so I do agree with that comment. I think, um, well, I agree with it to an extent. I think you've got to take it into context. Vieira started the North London derby, wasn't involved in that game whatsoever. Um, but there are games where he has played alongside the likes of Erdegaard, Declan Rice. And he's looked a lot better. So I think that goes for almost all of the players that started last night. You know, you throw Kivior into the defence and uh, I don't think he had a problem against Sheffield United. You throw Trossard in, you know. When I thought, sorry to interrupt. I no, thought we did all right last night, though. I thought Kivior was Kivior. good. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. excellent. Yeah, I was really pleased with him. He's the one player that I thought was good and I thought very good against Sheffield United. He's one of these guys that I think you can quite seamlessly bring in for a lot of games and the quality doesn't drop. I could mm. say the same for Trossard. Um, he's someone that I think was on the receiving end of, you know, that lack of chemistry, that lack of understanding, being in a collective of players that don't play a lot of football. Um, but look, I do want to move on from this game because, yeah. you know, it's it's not been fun to talk about. But before I do go on to I mean, to you don't game, want to talk about Martin Odegaard's sensational goal, which means so much. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and I, uh, unfortunately, listener, I'm going to make a confession I didn't actually see because, it, you know, we're 3-0 down and... As I said right at the top of the show, it's a flipping pig's ear to get home from that stadium. And it takes you about 25 minutes so just to just to get out. So, yeah, I had left just before that goal had gone in. I don't think you're begrudging me, though, right? It's 95 minutes. No, I mean, no cer- certainly no one's begrudging you of that, mate. Um, amazed you stayed that long, to be quite honest with you. But look, it was a nice goal. You know, good for Odegaard's personal confidence. Um, but we're out of the cup. And the last thing I'm going to ask you on this, mate, quite candidly, is does it matter? Um, in the context of this, how do I answer this without just sitting on the fence and saying, because to me, it, it depends. Uh, if we get to May and we have won no trophies 
and we finished fourth in the league because we've had a load of injuries and we haven't clicked, which we haven't really clicked as a team this season. And so we've got the Champions League in the bag, fine, but that's it. It's at least a nice thing to have that shiny silver trinket at the end. Uh, having said that, if we are in this competition and we end up losing bodies and we end up falling down through injury suspensions and all of that sort of stuff in other bigger trophies, then no, it doesn't matter. And on a selfish point of view, I really like going to Wembley. <laughs> so, so to me, that day out is fabulous. And so does it matter? It matters to me personally because I like my Wembley day out. In the context of the season, maybe not. Yeah, and I think that, that that's how we've got to look at it. I think the one thing I would say that does matter is that we got absolutely battered. And I don't like that. You know, I watched um, the last half hour of Newcastle and Man United and they had a heavily rotated team. You know, they had Matt Target, Lewis Hall in there. Um, you know, loads of players that, that, that don't really start in the Premier League and they've gone to Old Trafford and turned them over 3-0. And we've been on the receiving end of uh, battering, um, which in any context, is not a good look for mm. a team that is going into a game against a side that has just gone to United and won 3-0. So that worries me. And I don't think, you know, all round it's, it, it is a good thing to have happened. But um, we've got to put it behind us now and look to Newcastle at the weekend. Uh, I have to say, Chris, I'm not, uh, I'm not looking forward to this one. No, and I think there's a really good segue that you just made there because the juxtaposition between we've just lost 3-1 with a half a rotated team versus Newcastle with just one three nil with a pretty full rotated team. I guess if you're looking in, let's try and let's try and do some positives. Uh, Newcastle are missing missing a fair few players. I know we are, but Newcastle are as well. I think Sven Botman's out. I think Isak is out. Tonali can't play. Uh, I'll call up some names in. A, I'll have a little look in a sec if there's any additional ones I can think of. Matt Target got injured, although I'm not sure how much he plays for them. They rotated and they rested a fair few players, so they're going to be up for this. This is going to be a flipping hard game, mate. This is going to be. Uh, they've found their voices up there in the northeast um, since Eddie Howe's taken over, and they make it a different, difficult place to go. There's lots of noise. There's lots of pressure. Um, we're going to have to ride a bit of it. We're going to have to box clever, I think, on Saturday because we can't have what happened on um, on tomorrow, yesterday evening. We can't have that same level of performance. And I suspect and hope Arteta's given him a right old rollicking. Um, maybe he's even said to them, you don't get a day off tomorrow. I'm going to go full Felix Magat at Fulham on you and get you running up and down hills tomorrow as punishment for that performance. But we've got to see some kind of a response. My fingers crossed are that there was enough players rested. Uh, what We've got Saliba coming back in. There'll be Raya coming back in. Tommy Asu. We'll have um, Declan Rice coming in from the start. Saka, Martinelli coming in. You know, that's six, seven, Erdegaard. That's seven, eight players I've just reeled off. My hope is that we see a very marked different team. But yeah, I'm like you. I'm not... I think our winning run might come to an end this weekend. Or our, def our undefeated run might come to an end this weekend. Yeah, I I hate to say it. I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but look, that Newcastle were our fantastic side. And at St. James's Park, hostile atmosphere, really difficult game. Um, they got absolutely, uh, you know, they put a fantastic performance against PSG. Um, and they've, they've done very well at home this season. I mean, I don't think they've started as well as they ended last season. 
Um, you know, they've just drawn 2-2 uh, Molyneux against Wolves. Um, they've had a couple of poor results along the way this season, but I think they're really starting to come into their ebb and flow now. doesn't yeah. help that they've got a couple of injuries, you know, to, to key players, and Tonali's been banned for the season. But, yep. yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Um, I've got it here. Harvey Barnes is the other one that's out. Jacob Murphy's out. I don't know who Elliot Anderson is. Sven Botman, Alexander Isak, uh, Mankio, and Matt Target. Sorry, Karen. It's a lot. Um but I feel like they're probably going to be okay. You know, Callum Wilson will come in for Isaac and, you know, got Dan Byrne at left back. Um, Matt Target doesn't really play for them a lot anyway. But I think um, from our point of view on the injury front, oh God, I just I wish we had Jesus and Partey available for this game because I think that that would make the difference. Um, I worry about Nketiah starting. And in all honesty, I would go with Kai Havertz up top with Saka and Martinelli just to give us something a bit different, a bit more physicality, someone that can hold the ball up, get other players involved. If he can play like he did against City in the Community Shield, that's what we need from Kai Havertz. What we don't need is what we saw last night. So this is a good opportunity for him to get a bit of redemption. I think Nketiah will start, though, given that he got the hat-trick against Sheffield United. Um, But it's the midfield that worries me, mate, because I assume it's going to be Jorginho, Declan Rice and Martin Erdegaard, which... Is the midfield that played against Manchester City and did very well. Um, and Jorginho played in the game at St James's Park last season when we convincingly won 2 0. Uh, mm-hmm. However, he did have a certain Granite Jacker alongside him who was excellent in that game. And I think we'll see a similar performance from Declan Rice, hopefully an even better one. Um, but, you know, a couple of months have gone by since that game. Jorginho's a little bit older, not having a, didn't have a great game last night. But then he puts in great performances like he did against Manchester City. I just worry what version we'll get from him and whether he will be good enough and strong enough for a game that's going to be so fiercely intense. Really intense. And also the running power as well. Like we all laughed when Joe Linton looked like an absolute flop as a centre forward. But Eddie Howe converted him into a centre midfielder and he's now a powerful running centre midfielder. They've got Guimaraes, who also covers ground, good player. And I think Sean Longstaff's the other guy who uh, I don't know too much about his playing style, but that'll be an energetic midfield. And the thing that I really worry about is the running power uh, when when we lose the ball. So in transition, Jorginho, when we turn over the ball, is a terrifying sight to see. Like as soon as any player gets picks the ball up and and with and starts running in behind him, he runs like he's through, he's running through treacle, doesn't he? So that's my worry. And and you're absolutely right. Imagine if we had the De- uh, Thomas Party sitting in the base, Declan Rice left eight, Erdegaard right eight, and I'd have absolutely no problems whatsoever. And Jesus through the middle, I'd be fancying our chances. But I'm the same. I'm the same as you. I don't actually know what the best lineup would be because I don't really want to see Giorgini for that reason. I don't want to see him playing as the six, but then the other option is you play Rice in the eight, sorry, in the six, like as a defensive midfielder, who do you play as left eight? That's the issue. I, I agree with you. I'd play Havertz up top, but then your options in left eight are Fabio Vieira, or as I think somebody said in the chat, does he finally goes in? He won't do it, but Zinchenko plays Zinchenko as a, midfielder and see what happens or let me throw a curveball at you that nobody will be thinking about Mohamed Elneny is the six Rice is the eight Erdegaard in the right eight yeah because for all of the flaws of Elneny what we will get is energy and running power to Elneny to release the ball like maybe and Declan Rice is spending half of his time as a left eight so Lynn Simpson she's on your wavelength man you, you've, uh, Lynn, Lynn, we're, you've we're in sync. Plugged in in sync. 
but I'm I'm the same as you. Like, I'm not a fan of El Nini, but he will give energy up against an energetic Newcastle midfield. So you match power for you match sort of move, like running for running. All right, all he's going to do is a sideways pass. But as long as you've got like an Odegaard or a Declan Rice there, it could work, couldn't it? Yeah, and and you know he's shown a few times away from home that he is a good option in these games. It's just, uh, I think you've got to be erring on the side of caution for a bit. Um, you know, he's been out for a long time and this is El Nenny we're talking about. You know, he's not going to be tearing up any trees. But for games like this, where we just need to keep things turning over, have energy, running power, I don't think it's a bad shout. You know, I'm not his biggest advocate and I don't think we should still be playing him in, you know, this season. Um, we need to move on from him at some point. But, you know, you've got to figure out what is best for the game at hand and he could well be a viable option. I think I'd certainly feel a bit more confident with him rather than Jorginho who could mm-hmm. get bypassed, but it depends how much we're going to, going to dominate the game. You know, if we have a lot of the balls, Jorginho is the answer, but I'm just not sure we will. And if we're getting caught mm-hmm. in the transition, we saw it against Chelsea, Jorginho, every time Chelsea came on the transition, he was done time and time and time again. We've all seen the clip of Saka pushing him to get back. Um, I worry about that happening again when they've got Gimarias, Longstaff, Joe Linton, Wilson, uh, Almiron, you know, you're asking for trouble there. And we know the intensity that the Newcastle play at. But um, look, before we go, mate, what is a good result for Arsenal tomorrow on Saturday? Sorry. A draw. A great, a good result is a win, obviously. And it'd be amazing to get a win. Amazing to have the same performance as we had last season. Um, I would absolutely take a draw right now. I think games like this we've picked up a few injuries i'd take a 1-1 one, one. i'd take a i'd take a scabby nil nil the most boring game of football ever to be honest with you because i just fear that yeah it's uh it's going to be a really tough game i actually yeah like i said earlier i have a fear that the the, the, the unbeaten run comes to a comes to a halt this weekend i hope it's not true because uh, it's my birthday weekend so i'd really like to not be grumpy on my birthday weekend with all my family over as i just tell them to leave me alone uh, <laughs> but yeah well, look i i would be more than happy with a draw you know um i think that would be a really good result and uh look, i know that might not sound overly ambitious but the only reason i'm saying that is because our game's following on from this burnley at home brentford away wolves at home Luton away. So if we draw, you've got four winnable fixtures there before we then go to Aston Villa, which will be a very tough game away from home on the 9th of December. Um, we've actually got a very tough December looking at it now. We've yeah. got Villa away, Brighton at home, yeah, Liverpool, Liverpool away. I mean, that is that. I mean, I suppose the one good thing about last night's result is if we had won it, we'd be playing Liverpool twice in the space of a couple of days away from home. So that's the one caveat that I think we can look at as being a slight positive. But um, before I let you go, Chris, what's your prediction for Saturday? This is going to sound really neggy, so I'm really sorry. Come at me if you want in the uh, on socials, but um, I think we might get done 2-0. 2-0? Let me Lovely. explain my working though. Let me explain my working though, because that sounds like an absolute battering. I don't think it'll be a battering, but I could imagine the sort of scenario where we play all right, not amazing, Newcastle get a goal, um, and a bit like last night, they get a goal and then as soon as they get the second goal, the match goes. So it's like almost like first goal, first half, second goal, second half. Um, and I just, I wonder how much last night might play on the players' minds. So um, BX Gunner 81, I really hope you're right. I hope everyone's laughing at me. I hope I get, I hope I get pelters because all I want to see is Arsenal win. I will, can you imagine the turnaround in our season? Uh, I say turnaround, we're second in the league and we're, we're, 
you know, bossing our Champions League group. But imagine the turnaround in, in within three days if we go from this conversation now to we've just beaten Newcastle at St James's Park. This season is on. There'll be there'll be lot, lots of people like me thinking it's on, guys. Yeah, definitely. It's the sort of result that can really change your fortunes. I was amazed actually by how convincingly we beat them um, last season uh, away from home because I remember at home it was such a difficult game against them and they were so defensive. But away from home, yeah, we just completely nullified the storm. And, um, you know, I hope we see that again this weekend. I I don't think we will, but I'm going to be a bit more positive than you, Chris. I'm going to go for a a 1-1, which I would be, you know, more than happy with. Um, But before I let you go, one last thing to mention, this podcast is very proudly sponsored by Ruth Beck Art. You can, of course, check out her lovely Christmas cards on her Etsy shop. And she's also on a website called Redbubble, which I don't know a lot about. But um, she tells us if you go over there, it will help her out an awful lot. So make sure you check her out on Etsy and Redbubble. And she's also got these fabulous Christmas gonks. And I've been told they're actually not specifically for Christmas. They're just Arsenal themed and they happen to look like Santa. So make sure you go and check them out. They're also on our Etsy shop and you can have those personalised for any player that you want. Um, They're nice, Chris, aren't they? What's the difference between a gonk and a gnome? It's a great question. I think a gonk is a bit smaller. Oh, okay. Um, That just looks like a gnome to me. Maybe I'm just an old man that doesn't understand And and they're a bit faceless. I'm not sure. I mean, Ruth, you know, if you ever fancy coming on the pod and we'll do a special edition (laughs) of gonk versus gnome... um, that, I think that would that's what the viewers might want at some point. But um, <laughs> they don't want to talk about West Ham Arsenal. No, we want to talk about gonks and gnomes. That that's a lot more interesting, I think. Um, but yeah, make sure you go and check out Roof stuff. Great Arsenal related artwork, and um, yeah, just a lovely, lovely person as well. So uh, she also does a lot of giveaways. We'll be doing a few giveaways via our Twitter as well in collaboration with Roof. So yeah, make sure you go and follow her on Twitter at Roof Art. I believe it is. Apologies, Roof, if I've got that wrong. But um, Chris. Thank you, mate. Thank you for coming on and talking about that difficult night. Thank you very much. Bit of, get bit, blah, 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 bit of catharsis on a Thursday afternoon. Exactly. Much needed. Um, I'm unfortunately on holiday. I say unfortunately. I really want to go on holiday, so um, I'm away <laughs> this weekend. Um, you are unfortunately not going to be blessed with my vocal tones. Um, I believe Amanda and maybe yourself, Chris, or are you away? It's your birthday weekend, isn't it? So, yes. so you're away. Over. So we're leaving Amanda to run riot. So good luck, keep everybody. Good luck. Yeah, good luck. Not our fault. Uh, keep her in check. So uh, yeah, Amanda will be back. Um, not sure if it's going to be Saturday or Sunday, but she will be back at some point to discuss what is hopefully a positive result up at St James's Park. But until then, from myself and Chris, it was disappointing last night, but up the Arsenal. See you later, guys. Bye bye. Podcast Network.